There's this huge hypothesis that automation helps in every part of your life. We realized that users don't necessarily need automation for everything. Users just want choice. The simple solutions usually have a better answer than some of the more complex solutions out there. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. Chris, thank you so much for joining up our podcast. I'm really excited to have you on How I Grew This. We're focusing in this podcast on both personal growth as well as how you've led growth around in some of the companies that you've been. And you've had an exciting journey so far. So thank you again for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Let's start with your own personal and career growth. You started as an investment banker, then you went into VC for a little bit. How did that lead to being in, in product and growth? I think the, the punchline for anything in finance is that long hours is never fun. Um, but you do develop a couple <laughs> of really key skills, uh, actually highly applicable to being a product manager. You know, when I think about product, you guys must have heard of the concentric circles where business viability, user desirability, and technical feasibility are all really core pillars to a PM's development. One thing that you actually learn a lot about is the business side in finance. And so some of the skill sets that you take out from there are, you know, staying grounded in how to quantitatively inform a decision. Because of the long hours, there's also a bunch of stamina, both physical and mental, that you just have to develop, you know, not giving up when you don't have answers. And as a 22-year-old, you typically don't have too many at all. And then, you know, it's just this ability to quickly learn new things, new industries, especially in venture where pattern matching is such a core skill set. And so a lot of some of these hard skills, as well as some of these softer skills, all really amount to, you know, what I strongly believe in is important as a PM, and that's having these varied experiences. And so, you know, I don't have a traditional background in engineering. I certainly picked up a bunch of it over the years, um, but being technical and having that technical mental stamina is, is, it's key. And that's one of the things that I picked up in finance. You know, as, as I talk to different people, it doesn't seem like there's one way to get into product. People have such varied experiences, but I think your, your journey has definitely been unique and interesting. So from finance, you went to gaming and you worked at Kabam and I'm addicted to mobile gaming is my vice. Gaming is a really interesting, you could say kind of cutthroat industry to be in. Maybe tell us a little bit about that transition, how it happened and why particularly did you start with gaming? I'll take a step back and, and talk a little bit about why I left venture. I think um, one of the things that after spending some time there, you know, I realized that I was spending a lot of time looking at pitch decks and sourcing and then really spreading myself pretty thin across just so many different industries. At the age of 24, 25, I felt like I was much more of a generalist than I wanted to be at the time. I, you know, I'd always pride myself in really deeply understanding something, you know, being a specialist and, and kind of understanding what made something tick. And for me at the time, I really wanted to know what made companies tick. I wanted to understand what an operating role would be like if I had added a company. And so I had this hypothesis that product management is probably the most fundamental unit of understanding how business works. And you know, sure enough, for tech companies, that actually was the case. 
um, you know, games and Kabam and product management, I think of it all as almost accidental. Got it. Um, I had a hypothesis and I wanted to, to run after it. And it just happened that, you know, I had a good friend who worked at Kabam. He spoke highly of the role. He spoke highly of the position it fit with my fundamental hypotheses of where I wanted to take my career. And that's how I took the leap of faith. I, you know, I chose gaming, quite frankly, because it was games are like companies, especially freemium games. You see revenue on day one, or you don't see it, depending on how successful the game is. You start to understand the constraints of your ecosystem, i.e. the game here. You figure out what you can optimize, how to listen to players, how to tweak player experience or as you extrapolate to tech, use experience and how that revenue actually ties back to the decisions and features that you actually want to put into the game. And so everything I just mentioned there fit nicely in my framework of where I wanted to take my career. That's awesome. And are you a mobile gamer yourself? I'll be quite honest, you know, ever since I moved from gaming to productivity, my phone is now filled with productivity apps rather than games. (laughs) There was definitely a point in time when I could recite the top 50 grossing games, top download games, left and right. That's funny. I still try to like, I delete them. For me, it's definitely like a drug. So what are some of the best growth lessons you've learned from your years at Kabam and in gaming before we move to, to productivity? It's really important to test your hypotheses. It's really important to tie data from user features back to like revenue figures. Um, I think it's really important to figure out a way to do that. Actually, I think a lot of times the difference between a junior PM and a more seasoned PM is their ability to tie some things that feel like they're qualitative nature all the way up to like, well, what does the business actually care about? And games gave you the opportunity to do that putting in a tournament system, example, whether while very delightful for users, actually amounted to dollars. And so constantly trading off decisions based on, on a core kind of growth metric, or in this case, a revenue North Star, was actually really valuable. It, it isn't how I would describe all of product management, but for certain disciplines, it certainly is a really good framework to have in mind. So if you think about the transition from gaming into my IQ and productivity. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how it happened. You know, the reason why I left games was because it was giving me a while a very space in thinking of growth product management. It was somewhat one-sided at times. You know, I think a lot about growth as understanding the business side really well, but I wasn't necessarily bringing in nearly as much as the user desirability part of the equation. I wanted to work with user research. I wanted to work more with building prototypes and using qualitative metrics to build good products rather than only focus on the quantitative side. And what I realized was that I wasn't going to develop that nearly as quickly as I wanted to in games. And so I looked around, I looked at what other industry existed, what other companies, and I realized that I was very excited about consumer applications, especially around money. And MyLIQ effectively is that. MyLIQ is an app that sits in the background that automatically tracks your drives. And those drives are actually worth money. Every business drive is worth 54 cents per mile. And it actually amounts to quite a bit when you add up how many drives you take in a year. And so I thought about how do I solve problems 
for for end users. And this was a problem. This was a problem that no one was really doing at scale. And this was a problem that was relatively under the radar. Even till this day, most people don't know that your drives are actually worth money. I think it's an interesting transition for your career. Tell us a little bit about MyLAQ and what does it do for our listeners who might not know about it. Uh, what's the story behind it as a company? The, the mission for MyLIQ is to automate administrative chores. What that means is we think of an administrative chore as anything that requires your time, anything that requires your, your additional effort to actually get money back. And so mileage tracking is what MyLIQ's bread and butter is. And the product is an app that you download. It uses a combination of GPS, cell phone towers, and drops waypoints on a map. And we connect those waypoints to form a drive. It's actually a it, it's a top grossing app in the app store still today. And, and all the user interaction for MyLIQ is that when they come back into the app, they classify a drive as whether it personal or business. Business drives are worth 54 cents per mile. And every one of those drives amount to something either on a tax return or an expense reimbursement. And so the use case actually cuts across consumer and enterprise. Uh, and back to my earlier framework, it was something that I really wanted to develop more, a better understanding of how to think about all types of customers. That's very cool. I mean, you've definitely convinced me as a customer. So I'm downloading it right after our podcast. And I hope everyone else listening will as well. It's like really interesting. And you're right. I never track my business miles. Um, so that's incredibly, incredibly interesting. And Microsoft ended up acquiring you guys, right? And you were there to the, that transition. Tell us, a, you know, if there are things you can share about that transition, how does it feel when you are in a company that gets acquired? Any lessons you might have for others who might fa- face similar circumstances? Just to be clear, I actually joined after the acquisition, but I certainly saw a bunch of that transition happen. When I started we were effective independent startup. We had our own marketing teams, sales teams, growth teams, engineering, product, research, design. And it was housed as what you would typically see as a Silicon Valley startup. We're still based in San Francisco. Uh, and we still have a lot of that. For the several years that I've been here at Microsoft and over the several years that I've seen how MyLIQ has transitioned, slowly attached to the Microsoft go-to-market machine. We expanded our offering from being solely a consumer offering to one that has a larger focus on team accounts. We've also done a bunch of integrations that we probably wouldn't have done if we weren't part of Microsoft as part of the Microsoft ecosystem, which is all really exciting. I think it's, it's always a big challenge when you're integrating into a larger machine. But it's one that is a very unique experience. And if you guys have the chance to give it a shot, I highly recommend it. As you think about your experience at MyLIQ and perhaps a Kabam, like any favorite growth stories, any favorite features to help lead that drove growth or, or that really improved the user experience? There's this huge hypothesis that automation helps in every part of your life. And quite frankly, that... While thematically is true, uh, I would say that it's not true in all cases. And certainly in the early days of MyLIQ, when I was here, we, we thought a lot about how do you automate that 
administrative chore of going back into the app to classify. It's a chore. You People don't do it all the time. People don't think about mileage all the time. And so we constantly hypothesized and prototyped and iterated and released features that were about automation. Some were really good, some less so. Um, but towards the end of that, we realized that users don't necessarily need automation for everything. Users just want choice. They want control. They want the ability to quickly um, edit their drives and, and do bulk classification rather than um, having the machine do it for you. And so I think that's a lesson really in identifying user needs. It's a lesson in having hypotheses and continually not give up on figuring out what's actually going to work. And then really focusing on not necessarily the hardest problem, but the simple solutions usually have a better answer than some of the more complex solutions out there. Makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it might not sound like a hard problem, but like getting people to do chores is probably... You know, I think you can go and ask mothers around the world. Uh, it's definitely not something easy. So I think that's really interesting how you guys approached it. And I think the other question I have, you know, we started this mobile growth brand. And I think we we, we always think about, you know, the importance of mobile. Like when I speak at conferences about this. So I'm kind of curious, you've worked mostly for mobile first companies. How do you think mobile plays into how brands look at user growth today? How do they look at mobile experience and how important should it be? I think mobile is extremely important. You know, Microsoft is a mobile first company. My IQ is mobile first as well. And so was Kabam. So was a, a bunch of other, you know, leading companies out there today. When I think about mobile, I think about that, how you can have this machine sit in your pocket at every point in time. It is your on-the-go device. It is a device that that probably knows more about you than you actually think. And when I think about mobile, I think about this key phrase is meeting users where they want to do work. And we see it in Google searches. You know, we saw it this past Black Friday where mobile commerce surpassed, you know, web commerce for the first time. People are doing more and more everything in mobile. And I think the challenge for every tech company, every startup, every product, every app is to see how much of what you can do can actually be all in mobile. We started at MileIQ. The founders had hypotheses that there would always be both a web experience and a mobile experience. And over the years, as we've seen how mobile has grown, mobile has surely surpassed web. As you think, I mean, you, you've had an interesting experience. You've like worked from some really cool companies. I think when people think about you know, how to enter product, it's a hard journey. Sometimes people don't know how, you know, what's the right experience to become a product manager. Based on your experience so far, both you getting into product, but also seeing others, do you have any advice for our audience who's looking at entering a career in product management? I have two things. One is varied experiences. I think you never know when you're going to need to draw on a set of experiences that you've had in the past. I can't tell you how many times at Microsoft, I've been able to draw on my Kabam experience. And it's been really refreshing to see even applying my investment banking experience into, into my time at Microsoft. And so definitely there is a there's a there's a nugget of wisdom there, which is do whatever you're doing, do it really well. Whatever you're doing, be the expert at it and have a variety of those experiences because they ultimately ladder up into you becoming a better multidisciplinary leader. And PMs are effectively that. That's interesting. And what do you think makes, you know, like once someone kind of has that first door, first step into product, 
What do you think makes a good product manager? What kind of skills should they work on continuing to improve to really be amazing at their job? You really want to develop product sense. And I think product sense is uh, a, a number of different things. But one of the things that I think you can do as a as an early PM or as a new PM on any job is be the subject matter expert. Whatever that industry your product is in, whatever the function of product that you that you found yourself in, be the subject matter expert. Be the person that holds the context. Be the person that has the context. And you'll be surprised how many people start coming to you for their questions, how many start people looking to you to have the answers. And then one last point really is around communication. The most successful product managers are able to communicate their ideas to all types of audiences, from, from their team, to their squads, to their peers, to the company, and even on a podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. I love, I love that. So good communicators. And maybe we will, we'll end on that. I think we are incredibly grateful to have had you on our podcast. And thank you so much for your time. And um, where can the audience find you if they want to follow you or connect with you? You can follow me on LinkedIn. That's certainly a personality that I keep up to date. Thank you so, so much for doing this. I think it was really interesting. And I think you had some interesting insights into how to get into product and how to approach it. So, and I love the stories. So thank you so much. Hey, it's Mick Wang from Branches How I Grew This Podcast. Wanted to provide an update when it came to Christopher Yu's episode. We recently caught up about some of the new projects that he's been working on, as well as things related to how his life has changed during COVID-19. Last time we spoke, you were heading up product for Mile IQ. You were doing some other things on the side that you couldn't necessarily talk about. Fast forward to today... Uh, what are some of the updates? Tell me about what's happened since we last talked. So over the last year, my team and I have been exploring new investments, product investments that Microsoft should make in the consumer realm. On March 31st, uh, about six weeks ago, actually the same day my daughter was born, Microsoft made an announcement that they were rebranding their consumer SKUs to be called M365 for families. And so while that's a a pricing and packaging decision that Microsoft made from a product investment standpoint and from an actual product delivery standpoint, my team has been working on two of the, the different investments as part of that SKU, one of which is a new family safety app a mobile app that really focuses on cross-platform safety for you and your loved ones. And so we think about this in terms of digital safety from screen time to content filtering down to physical safety, which is really built around location sharing and safe driving. And a couple other things that we have not yet announced, but uh, it is a, it's a new service. Uh, it's a new product focused for families to make them feel safe. And another project my team has also been working on is really building a personal financial management in Excel. It's called Money in Excel, and you can think of it as a dynamic way of personalizing your financial content directly into a set of templates that would be similar to what you would find on Mint.com or Personal Capital or any of the other personal financial managers out there. And that's really our first investment into the fintech space. That's super exciting. Well, with that said, so happy that we were able to connect on some of the updates. So thanks so much, Chris. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing. Keep growing.